Republicans won't accept one penny in deficit reduction from closing tax loopholes. The farce of this whole thing is that under Donald Trump, we raised the debt ceiling three times. 40% of our national debt actually was accumulated during the four years of the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. And now, and now they're not willing to talk about any revenue from very wealthy people as part of this effort. That's the difference. Speaker McCarthy and the MAGA Republicans are threatening to blow up the economy if we don't do things exactly their way. Yep, they are. And Joe Biden can do something about it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. But Willie. I got the feeling that something right. We'll discuss. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Hey, yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California on KFOI in Red Bluff and Redding and Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your listening pleasure on the internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week or so. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, still your pro-democracy news headquarters. We've got uh, some breaking news, actually quite a bit of breaking news, uh, just as uh, I was uh, leaving the house to come over to the studio, Desi Doyen. Help me keep track of everything, won't you, please? Yes, I know I keep saying this, but really, stuff keeps happening. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that happens. Uh, what we do uh, have here, uh, just by way of some of the breaking news here, E. Jean Carroll, the uh, magazine writer, is uh, seeking new damages from Donald Trump for the comments that he made on CNN the day after she won a $5 million uh, sexual assault and defamation claim against him. Because uh, the very next day after she won, specifically it was $3 million for the defamation claims, he made almost word for word the exact same claims the very next day on that CNN town hall. And so she is suing him again. Apparently he did not get the message the first time. $5 million was not enough of a deterrent. Maybe she'll sue for 50 or 100 this time. We will see. Uh, also, uh, just before uh, airtime today, 
Some news out of Arizona, where we covered a, uh, a very important story last week on this program with the former Republican Secretary of State of Arizona, who's now a Republican state senator, on a bill that both he and the current Democratic Secretary of State in Arizona both agreed on and saw it passed by the uh, Republican uh, majority House and Senate in the state of Arizona. We were waiting to hear what the Democratic Secretary of State of Arizona would do about that bill. Would she sign it, veto it, etc.? Well, we have just learned minutes before airtime. You're going to have to wait to find out, however, because uh, I need to get more information on it before I tell you. Anyway, all of that and some very good and, yes, surprising news today. The parties, it seems, have finally come to an amicable agreement to settle this matter and avoid disaster, at least through 2026, unfortunately, the parties who were able to work out their differences for now in this landmark, complicated agreement include the states of Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, New and New Mexico. Those are the seven states of the drought-stricken Colorado River Basin. And the uh, and the federal government plays a part in all of this. The uh, feds had given those states just months to make a deal on how to significantly cut back on water usage before the government came in to figure out how to do it for them. I had hoped to have more on that breakthrough uh, later this hour, but uh, Desi Doyen, we may have to talk about the other issue out of Arizona <laughs> instead. It is what it is. In any event, the agreement, unfortunately, is not concerning the debt ceiling. That would be the uh, other seemingly intractable disagreement that involves the federal government and could result in disaster. That one continues at this hour, unfortunately. The uh, congressional Republicans' ongoing attempt to use the federal government uh, to use federal spending already agreed to long ago by Congresses and presidents of both parties to use that as a hostage before they will agree to uh, raise or ignore the dumb debt ceiling law, which authorizes borrowing by the federal government, but only up to a certain amount to pay our bills. We've been covering the debt ceiling battle in recent weeks as the uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has notified Congress that without an increase in the dumb statutory borrowing limit, the U.S. will be unable to pay all of its bills as of June 1. That is now about a week and a half away as House Republicans are demanding hundreds of billions of dollars in cuts to things like feeding the hungry, health care for the poor and for veterans, wiping out most of the landmark cri uh, climate crisis mitigation uh, provisions that were adopted by Democrats in last year's Inflation Reduction Act. They want all of that gone before they will agree to simply allow the debt limit to be raised in order to avoid a catastrophic first-time-ever default of the U.S. government and an inability to pay interest on uh, loans and payments to the sick and elderly and paychecks to veterans and just about anything else that the federal government long ago had committed to paying for. Well, 
Negotiations continued at the White House on Monday afternoon after President Biden was forced to cut his overseas trip short to uh, meet with G7 countries in order to come back to try to work out some deal or another with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, even though the White House had been insisting for weeks that they would not negotiate on a clean debt ceiling increase to pay the nation's debt. Clearly, the White House certainly now seems to be negotiating. However, as we have also been reporting in recent weeks, many constitutional law experts argue there is no need to negotiate with the Republican economic terrorists in the House. That if Republicans will not do the right thing and raise the dumb, pointless debt ceiling, President Biden should simply order the Treasury Department to continue paying the nation's bills which, by the way, is also required by law. That he should simply ignore, for now, the one law that places a limit on how much the U.S. may borrow while continuing to honor the hundreds, perhaps thousands, of other laws that mandate that the federal government make the payments ordered by Congress. Now, those uh, scholars uh, who who say he should just continue to make uh, payments as mandated by Congress, they cite Section 4 of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which reads in pertinent part, quote, the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts, shall not be questioned. Seems pretty clear, don't it? Harvard's uh, constitutional law scholar Lawrence Tribe has been among the loudest voices advocating for Biden's invocation of the 14th Amendment, arguing, as we discussed on this program in some detail with Brad Blog legal analyst Ernie Canning last week, that uh, that if he simply invoked the 14th to continue payments, no one, in fact, would have the standing to sue him in court. Canning advocates that Biden simply issue an executive order sooner rather than later to avoid panic in the financial markets about what's going on here. And, uh, you know, that is likely to happen in the market, the panic, as the deadline for default grows nearer. Canning says he should simply direct Treasury to continue paying our bills, let someone try to sue him otherwise if they have standing. And if they really want to go to court demanding that the U.S. government default on its debts for the first time in history, leading to crashes in the U.S. and global markets, millions of American layoffs and almost certain recession or potentially worse. The plan would seem to make sense, especially given that McCarthy and House Republicans do not seem to be negotiating in good faith at this point. And it's far less than clear that even if McCarthy agrees to a deal, Kevin McCarthy, uh, to a deal with the White House that he can even get his own caucus on board to support it. Nonetheless, while Biden has said that he had been, quote, considering the 14th Amendment, unquote, as it applies to the dumb 1917 debt ceiling law in order to avoid future showdowns, Uh, Biden said, we'll look at that in the future, but he was disinclined to do so right now because, as he described it, quote, the problem would have to be litigated. And in the meantime, without an extension, it would end up in the same place, he said. Whatever that may mean. As uh, the American Prospects' David Dayen observes in his pop-up newsletter today called X-Date, 
named for the still precisely unknown actual date when the U.S. will be unable to pay its debts for the first time in uh, for the first time in history. Quote, at one point, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy did say that there would be a need uh, that there would need to be an agreement in principle to end the debt ceiling mess by the end of this past weekend in order to have enough time to ferry it through Congress before the X date. Well, you're in for the shock of your life, writes Dan. The weekend passed. There's still no agreement. If anything, he writes, the parties are further apart than before. He goes on to explain that Republicans have gone even further over the last several days in their demands than those in the so-called Limit, Save and Grow Act that they passed several weeks ago, demanding enormous cuts in social safety net spending, in climate crisis mitigation, all in exchange for raising that dumb debt limit. That, as the White House has made their own offers to close tax loopholes in order to lower the deficit as they negotiate, even after previously insisting they would never do so. They would never negotiate. But in fact, they are. Now, that reality has dawned uh, that a compromise really isn't all that likely. Dan uh, reports today that Joe Biden was again talking about the 14th Amendment when he was asked about it by a reporter at the G7 meeting in Japan. Uh, he answered in a somewhat bizarre way. I'm looking at the 14th Amendment as whether or not we have the authority. I think we have the authority. The question is, could it be done and invoked in time that it could not would not be appealed and as a consequence past the date in question and still the fall of the debt. That's a question that I think is unresolved. So that's kind of confusing. Uh, that was uh, Joe Biden in Japan over the weekend. As Dayan notes, that is not how the law works. The president go doesn't go to court and say, I invoke the 14th Amendment and then hope the court agrees with him. If you're the president, he notes, and you want to keep borrowing money after the debt ceiling is hit because you think you are legally bound to do so by the Constitution, well, you just keep borrowing money until somebody stops you. And... If the president is worried about litigation for reasons that aren't entirely clear to me, well, of course, here's the main thrust of David uh, of, of uh, Dan's ex-state newsletter today. Litigation is already underway. As uh, as we noted on the show a week or so ago, the National Association of Government Employees has already sued both the president and the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, charging that the extraordinary measures she has already implemented to keep the government paying its bills has already resulted in harm to its members by suspending investments into employee retirement plans and uh, they argue there is active and ongoing harm to those members, which will only get worse if the ceiling is hit. That lawsuit, Dayan argues, particularly after the group filed for an emergency injunction last Friday, just after David had pointed out in his newsletter that, yes, the group had sued, but they had failed until then to actually push the case forward by demanding an injunction. Uh, that lawsuit, says Dan, means that Biden is already in court and already has a way 
to get to the favorable ruling that he has been so concerned could not come in time to avoid all of this madness, especially since both he and Yellen likely agree with the plaintiffs who are suing them. Joining us now is our good friend David Dayen, the widely published, award-winning investigative financial journalist and the executive editor of The American Prospect. He's also author of Monopolized, the Life, uh, Life in the Age of Corporate Power, and author of the aforementioned X-Date pop-up newsletter from The American Prospect. Oh, Mr. Day, and welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, David, I've been saying for weeks now that, you know, while the White House thinks they can come to some sort of a deal with, with House Republicans, Biden reiterated once again at the G7, uh, that both McCarthy and Mitch McConnell during their last meeting with Biden at the White House vowed that the U.S. would not default. But, you know, I've noted uh, Biden damned well better have a plan B in his pocket. And the 14th Amendment certainly looks like such a plan. Before we get to how uh, that already existing lawsuit that you have cited uh, may help force the uh, constitutionality of the debt ceiling, that issue, sooner rather than later, do you see any evidence that some kind of a deal can magically be struck uh, between the parties here, between Biden and McCarthy, essentially, that could then be adopted by House Republicans in time to avoid default and not unleash fury from Democrats against such an agreement at the same time? Well, they're talking right now. I mean, as as we speak, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin McCarthy and and Joe Biden are in the White House in negotiations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's there's incentives for both sides to get to an agreement, the biggest one being that they're elected officials. And if the worldwide economy collapses on their watch, it would probably not be bad, not be great mm-hmm. for their reelection chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are some incentives there. Uh, the, the, the real question throughout this is whether or not Joe Biden is negotiating with someone that can deliver mm-hmm. the requisite number of votes to pass whatever it is they agree to. And that's in serious question. I right. mean, why, why would anyone believe that Kevin McCarthy can take an agreement that he makes with Joe Biden and sell it to his caucus? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he very, by the skin of his teeth, got the right-wing wish list that is the Limit Save Grow Act through the House and only then because two Democrats missed the vote. The the, the vote was 217 to 215 mm-hmm. and two Democrats missed the vote. Mm-hmm. That's why he got it through. Uh, so anything that's a, a negotiated compromise, which would have less in it than uh, that Limit Save Grow Act, you would assume would lose some votes on the right side. And it's unclear whether anything that has major spending cuts and 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 reforms that would allow more fossil fuel fuel production mm-hmm. uh would would pick up votes on the democratic side of the spectrum so uh it, it, that's really the existential question here is are you joe biden negotiating with someone that can deliver anything <laughs> exactly and you pointed out uh, in your piece, I think it was today, that over the weekend, uh, they seem to be getting even farther apart because now the Republicans are asking for things that were not even in that save 
Limit Growth Act or whatever that was right. called. Now, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and just to be clear, David. Uh, well, and they're doing that. They're just to be clear. They're, yeah. they're, they're doing that because they understand the nature of this negotiation, which isn't really a negotiation at all, mm-hmm. but a hostage situation. Yeah. They're not, you know, a negotiation is where both sides get something out of the deal and can go back to, to their people and say, this is what we got out of the agreement, and I think it's a good agreement. Uh, in this case, Republicans are are getting whatever they they desire, whatever they wish, mm-hmm. whatever they ask for, and Democrats are getting the ability to not crash the economy. <laughs> like that's it. That's, right. There, there's nothing else on that side of the ledger, uh, and so if that's the negotiation, and especially as you mentioned, if Joe Biden is saying I have no other option. Mm-hmm. I have no other choice except to do this negotiation. Then, of course, Republicans are going to say, well, now you have to give me more and more and more and more because you've just told me right. that you're in a position where you can't say no. Right. And now for folks who are not clear about this, David, and and I suspect that there's actually maybe for, far more than, than many realize – um, can can you very quickly explain what the difference is between those government mm-hmm. shutdowns that we have sort of, you know, we've sort of got used to every few years when there's a Democrat in the White House and Congress controlling one chamber of, of, of Congress, um, uh, Republicans yeah. controlling it, um, versus what we may be looking at with a full you know, fiscal default of the federal government? How are those two things different? Because a lot of folks on the right say, yeah, this this may not be that bad. Yeah, it's important to make that distinction. So uh, a a government shutdown just means that there aren't appropriations to Mm -hmm. continue certain functions. But there's a very standardized by this point process whereby checks continue to go out to beneficiaries Mm -hmm. uh, on the mandatory spending side. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's there are furloughs, but but the functions of government sort of limp along in the government shutdown scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, This means that uh, the nation would then only operate on money coming in, being able to go out. And the Treasury Department, barred from borrowing, Mm -hmm. would have to make decisions on the millions of payments that it makes in the course of a month, uh, which ones they can do and which ones they won't be able to do. And that would trigger a default, which would cause, uh, you know, a massive spike in our borrowing costs and and a massive spike in our credit rating, a lowering of our credit rating. Mm -hmm. Uh, This payment prioritization, it's unclear whether the Treasury can even do that. Uh, All of this stuff is automated, as you might imagine. You're talking about billions of payments. Janet Yellen doesn't sit there and sign every check. (laughs) Um, and so uh, uh, it, it's unclear whether that could even happen at all or whether you'd have to shut every payment down. Uh, and, and obviously, you're talking about people who rely on these payments, not just contractors, but beneficiaries mm-hmm. like Medicare beneficiaries, Social Security beneficiaries, all of that. Uh, uh, this would cause, and uh, because it's never happened before, an unprecedented uh, amount of chaos in uh, our economy, in the global economy, because treasury bonds are what uh, they're, they're seen as, as the safest instruments on earth. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they wouldn't be safe anymore. 
So there's a question of whether we could borrow after the fact or whether people would say, I'm going to find something else to put my money into rather than the insanity going on in Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, it, it would be, I mean, the, 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 the potential chaos and fallout of this uh, is on the order of uh, a recession deeper than what we saw in 2008, mm. uh, millions of job loss, uh, and it would be an entirely self-inflicted wound. And ultimately counter uh, to what the Republicans who claim, oh, we're spending too much, the deficit is too high, uh, it would seem to worsen all of those things that they are pretending to give a damn about now. Is that fair to say? Oh, uh, without question. I mean, all of this is going to cost us uh, billions, hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars, and it would be an ongoing cost because uh, there is a sense in which when once uh, uh, something would finally get worked out and the nation would be allowed to borrow again, that those borrowing costs would be permanently higher. Ah. I mean, you know, if yeah. you if you are a, an investor and you invest in a company and they default, you're not just going to go back and invest again at the same price, <laughs> right. right? You're right. going to say, well, look, you defaulted just mm -hmm. like a minute ago. So right. you're going to you're going to owe me more money now. If you want the privilege of of borrowing money from me, it's going to cost you even more. And 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 so that will will have a cumulative effect, uh, which could affect federal spending, could affect taxes, all of those things. So we've been talking about the uh, the 14th Amendment for months. Uh, it seems very clear the, uh, you know, the, the, the debt shall not be questioned. Uh, and yet uh, Biden is, is sort of playing footsie with the idea, well, we're looking at it. We might consider it for the future. Right now, it can't happen fast enough. It does seem that he's got a... And, and I don't understand how this can even be that he's got a is sort of a misunderstanding about it. But right now, sitting on the table, you point out in your uh, newsletter today, sitting right there in front of him, he's got this lawsuit from the National Association of Government Employees. Explain how you see that as a vehicle to get to the to get the determination, essentially, from a court regarding the 14th Amendment constitutionality of the debt ceiling law. Well, first of all, let me say, I don't think that Biden or the executive branch, the White House is misunderstanding how the nature of, of a, a, a situation around the constitutionality would work. I think they don't want to do it. They don't want to keep paying debts. And their entire argument is that if we just keep borrowing, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be hauled into court. Uh, there's going to be uncertainty such that our, our borrowing is going to be unable to be continued. And we're going to have the exact same situation that we would if we were in default. And it's just going to take too long. And we're not going to be able to figure out in time whether or not we can do the the, the thing that we want to do. Now, that so seems, that's, his, that's their argument. Which right? seems I, false. I mean, just on its face, it seems false. If he says, look, we are paying the bills uh, that we have been mandated by law to pay, if you don't like it, sue us, he's still going to continue paying the bills. We're not going to have the kind of chaos that we would have Well, otherwise. you would think unless unless the, the Republicans who managed to go to a right-wing court in Texas and get an injunction mm -hmm. from the guy who, who tried to get rid of the morning-after bill, right? Right, right. Uh, they, they, you know, they could, they could conceivably 
put a temporary emergency injunction on it and and stop that borrowing from happening while the legal process played itself out. So so anyway, but that's their argument mm-hmm. that that we don't have enough time. We 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 will be put in on the back foot and uh, and then we'll be blamed because instead of this being a hostage situation where Republicans are, are sinking the global economy on purpose, then it will be us who are responsible uh, because we're the ones that took the action to say we can screw the debt limit, we can pay it anyway, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it'll be our fault now. We're not the responsible people in the room anymore. That's their argument. It's not my argument. Mm-hmm. It would be very clear. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. their argument. I got you. Um, lawsuit kind of flips that on its head, and here's how. So on May 8th, mm-hmm. the National Association of Government Employees filed this suit. Uh, unfortunately, when they filed it, they did not add an emergency injunction that would do quick acting relief. Right. But just last Friday, they finally did that. They, right. they, they put this thing down that forces the judge to make a decision. And I'm going to give and, you credit for that because you goosed them by pointing out to everyone that they had not done that. So we'll give you credit well, for I, that. I, I, Deserve I, it or I'm otherwise. Not a, <laughs> not going to take a victory lap just All right. yet on All right. that. But, All right. uh, uh, anyway, yeah. point being, there is now a litigation process that is active. Mm-hmm. And it, it is moving towards resolution, but necessarily by the nature of what's being, you know, the complaint. Um, and, and what it says is it, it's actually a very interesting uh, uh, lawsuit because it makes a qu- kind of a conservative argument. What mm-hmm. it says is that uh, because Congress has given the executive different instructions, they have said, on the one hand, you we appropriated funds for programs and you have to pay those you mm-hmm. have to execute those mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. on the other hand it said there's a cap on how much you can borrow and therefore you can't execute those anymore right uh this creates a dilemma where the executive has to break a law it has to break either the constitution that mm-hmm. says the validity of the public debt should not be questioned or it has to break all of these other laws that congress passed that require the the executive to appropriate money. Right. And so when it's saying the, the lawsuit says it gives the executive excess power to essentially do a line item veto where it says, I'm going to pay this and I'm not going to pay that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, there are there is past precedent in the Supreme Court saying the line item veto is unconstitutional. That's Congress's power. Right. That's not the executive's power to say what I am going to uh, agree that Congress sent over and what I'm not going to agree. To. Yep. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a conservative argument about excess executive power. Right. Uh, in this instance. Um, so uh, that's the argument. Mm-hmm. And uh, the defendant, as you noted, is Joe Biden. Right. So Joe Biden has a decision to make here. He just said in that in that quote that you played, that I think I have the authority under the 14th Amendment to, mm-hmm. to you know, keep paying debts and, and essentially consider the debt ceiling uh, statute unconstitutional. Well, here's your chance, Joe. Yep. You, you have to write a response in this active litigation yep. put forward by the National Association of Government Employees. And what you can say in that is you can say, I agree right. with, the, with them, right. and I am not going to contest this lawsuit. 
And once the judge gets, okay, I've got two sides in this lawsuit. One side says the debt ceiling is unconstitutional. And the other side says it too. Right. Yeah, presumably what the the outcome, the, the ruling would be, is that the debt ceiling is unconstitutional. And then that yep. would you know, probably be appealed. But who would appeal it? Well, that's the question. Right? I mean, there are two parties in this case. Uh, neither of them are House Republicans. Right. Are, do House Republicans have the standing to intervene in this case? I don't know that they do. I, 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 I That's a good question. Well, they're not the harmed that, by the claim that the National Association of Government uh, Employees is making. As far as I know, Congress is not, well, it actually wouldn't be Congress. It would just be the House. The House is not harmed by that. It does not seem like they would have legal standing to even be allowed to come in to intervene in that, that case. That is the question. And, and, and so, but the whole point here is that Biden has been saying it would take too long, it would take too long, it would take too long. Here's a case that could be decided before June 1st. Mm -hmm. If if the, the wheels of justice just moved along, <laughs> right. uh, we could see the, an answer to this. And it suddenly it wouldn't take too long. Like we would know and it would be good to know whether or not this this case can go forward. Yeah. Now, there is a, a sense in which uh, there's a way that you could look at this and say, well, actually, that dilemma that I talked about mm -hmm. where uh, the, 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 the president has to break a law is not necessarily there. Now, here here are the options. Uh, we have heard many times, and I'm sure you've reported about it, the, the this idea of minting a trillion dollar coin. coin yes. Right. So, uh, and, and there is a law that says tr the Treasury Department has the ability to mint platinum coins. Right. And uh, they could mint one and say it costs a trillion dollars and, and, and give it to the Federal Reserve put it on 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 deposit and then they could draw off that right uh, if that's true right if, if 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 you know there's legally that is the case then this dilemma breaks down because in the event of uh, the nation hitting this debt ceiling then the Biden administration has another option right mm -hmm. they have an escape hatch okay they could mint the coin right they could do something like uh, there's a thing called premium bonds right? Uh, this is going to get really wonky, but, yep. uh, technically the, 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 the way that the debt limit is counted mm -hmm. is by the face value on government bonds. Mm -hmm. So when the government says I'm selling a hundred dollar bond, mm -hmm. uh, there's interest in there, but all that matters for the, the, the point of the debt limit is the hundred dollars. Right. So the government could sell a $0 bond that just pays interest and the interest would be paid uh, uh, out as it were but it would not add anything to the debt limit so someone out there would pay a hundred dollars mm -hmm. for a zero dollar bond and over time they would get 200 300 in interest mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. it would cost more money for the government to do that however it would never hit the debt limit if it just only sold bonds with zero face value gotcha uh, but why but why do all of that why do that why do the the, the platinum coin when this lawsuit would seem to am well, i missing well, why this provides this, a way if out this if this judge ruled actually you have other options you could mint the coin you could do premium bonds ah, i see uh then there the dilemma that is set up by this lawsuit ah. would not be 
uh, real. Mm -hmm. But that would be good news to have, too. If if the judge in the case said, well, actually, (laughs) legally speaking, you have other options to do. Right. Then the president can say, all right, I guess I have other options. Now I'm going to go do them. I mean, the whole thing. Uh, either way that this judge rules, it would be valuable information yes. to end this hostage taking exercise and show that there is some other option uh, other than acceding to the wishes of House Republicans to give them something they couldn't otherwise get in the normal course of legislation. And it seems like this could move quickly. As I understand it, the judge has now uh, asked Biden and Yellen, the defendants in this case, to have their to submit their response to the uh, plaintiffs by June 6th, if I recall. Yeah, but that's an end date, right? Right. They could do it before then if they wanted to. Yeah. And it sure seems like they have good cause to do so. Now, are we uh, seeing David Day and are we seeing the, uh, you know, Biden basically just going out of his way to do every living thing possible to show how he's he tried and tried and tried before he invoked one of these other measures? Is that what I mean? Is it, that what's going on? It certainly could be. I mean, if if you're in this situation where your thought is, I want to put pressure on House Republicans. I want to put the entire weight of this catastrophe at their feet and and use that to try to get them to bend them to our will. Then, yeah, if you the second that you say, I'm going to use the 14th Amendment, uh, that's the end of it. Right. I mean, they they don't have any pressure anymore. Right. And so in but at the same time, on the flip side of that, if in the course of the negotiation, you never say, you know, I don't have to be here. Mm-hmm. Like the biggest thing about a negotiation is you have to be willing to walk away from the table. Right. right? I mean, right. Uh, so if you if you say we have no other option but to give whatever House Republicans will agree to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, think about how that negotiation is in, in inevitably going to turn out. Yep. And so there's a balancing act that you have to engage in here if you're engaging in this negotiation. And uh, so so that's the question of, you know, how Biden is playing this. And I really think that the administration thought there was no way that McCarthy would ever be able to get the votes needed to pass a, a debt limit bill. Ah, right. Yeah. And he, he never. The one a couple they, weeks ago that he passed. The one a couple weeks yeah. the limit safe grow right, act. Right. They, they just never believed that that they would get it together in that fashion. And I don't think they were prepared for that to happen. The the, the hope was McCarthy can't get, you know, the, the, yeah. he can't get the votes for passage. And he comes back hat in hand to the White House and says, all right, I guess we'll just, you know, pass a clean <laughs> well, debt limit. That's all well um, and good. But, but that was weeks ago at this point. That was and that was wishful thinking. Right. too. And, yeah. and, and uh, because McCarthy knew all he had to say to his Republicans was the only way for us to get anything is if we pass something. And uh, uh, do this, or or Biden wins. And yeah, what's a Republican going to do? He's going to he, they're going to pass the bill. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think everything has sort of gone downhill from there, uh, and and that's why we are where we and, are. And it seems like they have not re 
formulated their strategy on how to deal with this since that bill was passed. Or, you know, to be fair, we don't know what's going on inside of those negotiations. Maybe they're, you know, maybe uh, he or the White House have made clear, look, if, you know, we don't come to something, we are going to invoke the 14th Amendment. But it would also be helpful for the public, frankly, for the markets, if Joe Biden made clear, uh, look, if we don't come to a deal, I believe I have the right to continue paying the, the bills and I will do so. And as a matter of fact, he could order the uh, Treasury Secretary, Secretary to do exactly that in an executive order immediately if he wanted to. But at the very least, yeah, he's now got a lawsuit in front of him that he could use that uh, David Dayan has been uh, trying to point out for some time. <laughs> Uh, maybe the White House will will finally notice. We'll find out. David, I got to get out. I'm running late. Uh, he is, of course, the executive editor of the American Prospect. <coughs> Excuse me, executive <laughs> editor of the American Prospect. He is the uh, author of Monopolized Life in the Age of Corporate Power, and uh, the author of the pop up newsletter at uh, Prospect.org called X Date. Never necessarily a good thing. When you see that the American Prospect has another pop-up newsletter, but it probably <laughs> means you should sign up for it anyway. David, uh, always great speaking with you, my friend. Uh, you can check him out also on the Twitters at D-Day. And David, good talking to you, bro brother. We'll talk again soon. Brad, get some water. I need some. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. We'll take a break. It's a lot of uh, talking today on this show. Uh, we will take a break and we will come back with uh, something. Oh, Yes. <sighs> the late update uh, just before airtime on a landmark ballot transparency measure that we covered last week on this program with my guest, Ken Bennett, the former Republican secretary of state of Arizona, now a state senator. He championed this landmark bill with the support of the current Democratic secretary of state, Adrian Fontes. And, um, well, we had been waiting for the current Democratic governor and former Secretary of State Katie Hobbs to decide on whether to sign it or to veto it. Well, we've got our answer. That is straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Arizona, take off your hobo shoes. Arizona, hey, won't you go my way? Yeah, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, as mentioned, yeah, we had on the uh, on the program last week an excellent interview, if I do say so myself, Desi Doyen, with uh, the... Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, thanks. Uh, with the uh, Secretary of State, uh, the former Secretary of State of Arizona, Ken Bennett. He's a Republican. He uh, had at one point been the president of the Senate. Then he became Secretary of State. Then he was hired to be the liaison for the uh, state Senate and their dumb... 
uh, insane cyber ninjas post-election audit in Maricopa County after the 2020 election. After that, Ken went on to be reelected to the state Senate, where he serves now. Now, as the former Republican Secretary of State, he knows quite a bit about the voting systems in uh, in in uh, Arizona. And while he was overseeing that cyber ninjas post-election audit, he worked with our good friend John Brakey of Audit U.S. Now, John has been uh, working for years. He's a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat. So he was working, this Republican, a Democrat, working together on this. John has been working for years to pass a bill in the state of Arizona that would require ballot, so-called ballot images, to be ba- to be made public records. These are the images, the photographs, if you will, that are taken of ballots when they are scanned in the optical scan system. And now you had a lot of Republicans after the 2020 election, you know, making all sorts of claims like, oh, uh, you know, the, the China somehow put 40,000 extra ballots somehow into the ballot box. Well, this would prove, in fact, that there weren't 40,000 extra ballots put into the ballot box, that all the ballots were, in fact, scanned. And if you make those public records, those ballot images that anyone can download from their computer, you know, pretty much just days or hours after the election, they can not only see how many ballots were counted, but they can see exactly how they were cast, how they were voted at the second that the ballots were run through the optical scanner. Now, this is a great idea, it seems to me, if you want to help sort of counter the idea that oh, our elections are being stolen, that people are voting one way, but the computers are actually recording their vote differently than the way they cast them. Well, now you would know for sure because you could look at anyone in the public could look at every single ballot if they wanted to from their home computer, an an image, a photograph that is taken immediately when those ballots are scanned. Those images are taken right now. The only difference is in Arizona, they are not made public record. They are not made available to the public. Some jurisdictions around the country do do that. I think San Francisco, if I'm remembering correctly, or the Bay Area, uh, makes these uh, ballots available, these ballot images available after elections. But currently, they do not do so in Arizona. Now, along with those uh, ballots, I'm sorry, those ballot images that they were going to make available, they're also going to make another file that would allow you to cross-check it with the, uh, you can look at any ballot you want, ballot number 2087. You can look at the actual ballot, and then you can look up on the spreadsheet to see how the computer actually counted that ballot. In that way, you can make sense of an entire election. You can make it a lot more difficult for cyber ninjas to run around pretending that somehow the election has been stolen from them. This was all in a bill that was championed by Ken Bennett, now a member of the Senate, formerly the Republican Secretary of State. It was championed by Ken Bennett, along with the current Secretary of State in Arizona, who is Democrat Adrian Fontes. He has also been on this show in the past. 
So both the Republican Secretary of State of Arizona, the former Republican Secretary of State, and the current Democratic Secretary of State both supported this bill for election transparency that our friend John Brakey has been trying to push through for years to help avoid the madness that these folks now on the right have been able to claim about the elections. And they did it not only in 2020 in Arizona, but you may recall uh, Carrie Lake, who ran for governor, the Republican who ran for governor last uh, November in 2022. She is still challenging the election from 2022 in Arizona. So this measure would make things a lot more difficult uh, for, uh, you know, disingenuous bad guys to go out there and claim that the election has been stolen from them. At the same time, this bill, known as HB 2560, would also release two other files to the public, make them public records. One is the registration list, who all the registered voters are in the state of Arizona. As Ken Bennett explained on this program last week, that are, those uh, records are already public records. So uh, registered voters, their names, their addresses and so forth, That's already public record. You can already go and get those from the state of Arizona. But those are going to be now a public record as part of this bill. They're going to be released before the election. And right after the election, one more file. Who voted? Of those registered voters who actually showed up to vote at the polls or sent in a a mail-in ballot. So you can compare, you can make sure that everyone in that uh, who voted list was also on that registered list. All of this for election transparency and election security, as John Brakey has been trying to make clear for years. All of this supported by the former Republican Secretary of State, the current Democratic Secretary of State, and finally passed out of the state legislature just a few weeks ago, or just a week or two ago now, by the Republican majority House and Senate. The bill received three Democratic votes in the uh, uh, in the state Senate. So it's a bipartisan bill and zero Democrats for some reason voted for it in the House, despite the fact that Democrats back in 2010 had actually made uh, ballot images, making them public part of the state Democratic Party platform. But Ken Bennett explained, oh, there's some politics going on there. So they didn't want to be seen as supporting this particular bill. Yeah. What strikes me about this law is that it really seemed to address all of the concerns of the MAGA Republicans, yep. you know, and all of some of them were were kind of silly concerns. But the ones that, you know, that you could say, OK, legitimately, we'll give you all of the um, different documents that would help any individual person be able to verify the count themselves, mm-hmm. verify that the voters who voted were eligible yep. to vote, all of that, and be able to compare and contrast the tallies that came in. It seemed like it was really very well suited. And it seems like it would make uh, make it more difficult for them to lie about all of those things because you exactly. can say, no, here are the ballots. Right. Anyway, so we had uh, there was five days for uh, the uh, new Democratic, Democratic governor of Arizona, Katie Hobbs, who, by the way, happens to be the former Democratic Secretary of State of Arizona until she was elected governor last November. We've uh, been waiting for her to decide whether to sign or to veto this important landmark election transparency public oversight bill. 
Well, just before I headed over here to the uh, studio today, we got word. In fact, uh, Katie Hobbs writes in her letter, Speaker Toma, that's the Republican Speaker of the House, I have vetoed HB 2560. While I understand this bill is intended to further transparency in the election process, it could create serious problems, she says. First, this bill threatens anonymity and privacy, core tenets of free and fair voting in our democracy. How that actually uh, threatens anonymity and privacy is unclear, to be frank. She says it also opens the door to the spread of additional election mis- and disinformation, which there is far too much of already. Finally, it places a burdensome, uh, unfunded mandate on our election officials who already face a multitude of challenges going into the 2024 election cycle. I do not doubt, she says, that this bill is well-intended, but it is clear to me that it creates more harm than good for Arizona's election officials and voters, signed by Katie Hobbs, signed, by the way, on May 19 uh, last week and only released uh, today by the uh, by the governor of Arizona. And it's a pretty shocking veto, if you ask me, since the Democratic secretary of state, the yep. current Democratic yep. secretary of state, was fully 100 yep. percent behind this bill. It is. It is shocking. And I'm not sure if uh, politics are at play here, if that's what this is about. When I asked Bennett uh, last week, he said he actually felt pretty good. He thought that Governor Hobbs would, uh, you know, I don't know if he said likely, but he felt pretty good that she would sign this bill because, as he noted, she's the former secretary of state of Arizona. She understands these issues. She understands how the voting systems work. She knows that the voter registration lists are already public records. It's unclear what she means about threatening anonymity and privacy. How so? As uh, Senator Bennett pointed out last week, if someone casts their ballot and they write on it, oh, my name is uh, Ken Bennett and I'm voting this way, well, that voter cannot expect privacy. Those ballots, uh, you know, are public records. And now the fact that the ballot images are public records just means more people get to see it. But if you give up your privacy, if you give up your, uh, your, your secret ballot, if you choose to do that, that's up to you. He noted that ballot uh, uh, selfies are already legal in the state of Arizona. If you want to take a picture of yourself voting, if you want to show everyone your ballot and post it on Twitter, you are welcome to do that. So... Um, Obviously, uh, John Brakey and uh, Ken Bennett and, and the folks at uh, John Brakey's group, Audit USA, are not happy about this uh, veto. They say um, that it's a, it, it, it was a meant to an effort to reduce the proliferation of election conspiracies. They sent me a, uh, a comment here saying that uh, with John Brakey, saying he's a nonpartisan, nonprofit uh group here, Audit USA. This is meant to increase transparency and accuracy in elections by claiming that the bill would compromise the privacy and an anonymity of voters and lead to the increased spread of disinformation. The governor has ignored the experience of multiple jurisdictions around the country that have been posting images, ballot images, without the problems that she claimed it uh, would be caused by this. I should also note that uh, folks like the uh, Democratic 
co-chair of the New York State Board of Elections, Doug Kellner, sent a letter to Governor Hobbs uh, asking her to please support this bill. He said it, quote, significantly improves the transparency of elections. He writes, electronic images recorded by the ballot scanners provide meaningful evidence that our election officials have properly certified election results. So the fact that she has uh, vetoed this is a pity. It's a pity for election oversight. It's a pity for American elections, for American democracy to help us get over the mess that we are now in thanks to Donald Trump lying about election results and hoaxing a whole bunch of people into believing that our elections are being stolen from them when we have the evidence right here. I know it's not going to please everyone. It's not going to convince everyone, but it would go a long way towards convincing a lot of people that the elections they have been lied to about being stolen are not. Or it would discover that, in fact, they were. And we'd have the evidence to prove it one way or another. Now, uh, the folks at Audit USA, that's John Brakey's group, uh, say that there is a chance to try to override Governor Hobbs's veto. In the Senate, they would need to pick up one more vote to get uh, enough to make two-thirds. In the House, they would need to pick up nine votes to get to, uh, to 40. They've got about 21 days to do that at this point. The Senate, however, is out of session until June 12th, so uh, the number of days to pull it off, I think, is is short. Uh, actually, is longer because it, I think that clock doesn't start ticking until they get to uh, June 12. Um, and so they hope to create a campaign to educate the public about this and maybe win some of those Democrats on board that voted against it in the House for silly reasons that are not completely clear, given the fact that their party had already. Uh, gone on record. It was part of their state party platform to make ballot images public. So we'll see if we can bring them around. Yeah, I hope so, because I thought it was a very good bipartisan, actually even kind of nonpartisan law. Yes, they worked yes. so hard across party lines to make this work and have it be something that everybody could get on board with. So I really hope that they're able to to uh, gather that support. Nobody said that fighting for your democracy was going to be easy. The fight continues, as it will, on tomorrow's broadcast, no doubt. My thanks today to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our board operator, Wendell Handy, to my guest, David Dayan of the American Prospect, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always an honor. It's always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate